Hi, and welcome to Author Uncut. I'm your host and author, Patrice Williams Marks. Today, I'll be reading from Chapter 5 of my revenge thriller, Counterpunch. But first, if you enjoy my podcast, I'd be grateful if you spread the word by leaving a rating and a review. Author Uncut can be found wherever you enjoy listening to your podcasts. Here's a synopsis of Counterpunch. Everest was not the perfect mom, but what she was, was fierce. After her husband Anthony died at the hands of a drunk driver, it was up to her to raise their daughter Mo alone. Her love for Mo was both unmistakable and unshakable. But when Mo failed to return home from swim practice with not so much as a text, Everest knew something was wrong. Will Everest find Mo in time to save her life? Better still, what will she do to the scumbag that brutalized her daughter? Make him pay. Chapter 5 A Specimen Mo slouched up against an overly stuffed pillow on her hospital bed. She flipped away the blankets from her feet and stared at her toes. They were as she remembered them. She wiggled and stretched them away from each other as a way to distract herself. Her feet were the only part of her body that didn't remind her of the kidnapping and assault. By simply just staring at them, she could pretend that everything was normal. They were the feet of a 15-year-old normal teenager and gave no indication of what the rest of her body had experienced. But she was not normal. Her body ached from the tip of her head to just above the ankles. Although it had been several days since Everest brought her there, her body tensed from sensations of soreness and inflammatory bruising. Mo's traumatized right eye had reopened completely by this time, despite the persistent bruise. Mo refused to touch or look at her abdomen, her legs, or anywhere else below the waist and above the ankles. Her numbness paralyzed her. Oh, how she longed for her father's reassurances and promises that everything would eventually be okay, no matter what painful trauma she had sustained. But instead, her body was not her own and belonged to the technicians, the police, nurses, and doctors. The necessary physical examination was another intrusion. Mo understood why she had to submit to those humiliating events, but that did not ease the helplessness, the anger, or the anxiety that followed. Mo did the only thing she could and lashed out at Everest with a primal, guttural scream that could be heard all the way down the hall at the nurse's station. She blamed Everest for sending her dad out for the cake. She blamed Everest for not being there to pick her up from school. She blamed Everest for not coming to her rescue sooner. But more than anything, she blamed herself for not being strong enough to break away from the man who took her. But his face was etched inside her psyche. She would never forget his face. The full medical forensic examination was a necessary evil the day Mo was brought in. Everest asked for a private room for the exam, and it was granted. 
There were no curtains to close around the bed, as the room was completely private, with a lock facing the inside. Everest stayed in the room with Mo as they conducted the initial examination, after obtaining informed consent from both of them. They took a full medical history, which included Mo having to recount in explicit detail what had happened to her. From there, they completed a top-to-toe physical examination that included a detailed geno-anal exam. They meticulously recorded and classified all of her injuries. Finally, they collected medical and forensic specimens, labeling them and packaging them before transporting them to a lab. After the intrusion was completed, the staff spoke about arranging follow-up care. They directed the instructions to Everest, who repeatedly reminded them that they should be addressing Mo directly. Everest knew Mo was in a state of shock, but still thought it was important for the staff to look her in the eye when speaking. Everest had to be a pillar of strength for Mo during the procedure, yet her mind was not on her daughter, but on the man who assaulted her. She knew exactly what she would do to him once she located him. Everyone had the capacity to kill, Everest thought. It just takes the right set of circumstances. For those who said they could never cross that line, they were either delusional or lying to themselves. There was a news story online that Everest came across a few months back. She bookmarked it, not because she saw herself as a better person than the one who committed the crime, but because she didn't. The story involved a woman in Tennessee who came home early to find two men assaulting her daughter. So the woman grabbed a kitchen knife and stabbed both men, killing one. She said there was nothing she would not do to protect her child and assure the media that she would do it again. Everest had her own plan in place. After Mo pointed him out to her, she would follow, then pounce on him unexpectedly. He would beg for his life and spew lies of innocence right to her face, the mother of the victim, saying it was not him and that she had the wrong person. She wouldn't listen to another word as she created her own form of justice. He would beg for mercy, but all she could hear would be of her daughter's voice pleading for the same. Once she was done with him, she would walk away feeling empowered and justified. Yes, that is exactly how it would go down. The man who took, she saw him as a subhuman bastard, not a man, no, she would not wait and allow Mo's assault to be another unsolved statistic to be part of the 75% of cases never solved. Goodroy knocked on the hospital door before letting herself inside. She was assigned to the case simply because she had prior contact with the family, but she was not a welcome addition to the room as her very presence reminded them both of the day they lost Anthony. Goodroy was there the day Mo was brought in, and now she was back a few days later to provide information on the case. 
But once Mo spotted Goodroy, she opened up a side table drawer, reached for her earbuds and phone, and immediately tuned out. Frankly, Everest wanted to do the same thing. She wanted to run away as far as her feet would carry her. She wanted the freedom to shriek at the top of her lungs in sheer agony. But instead, she listened to what Goodroy had to say. Goodroy pulled out a small spiral notepad and read through the bullet points she had prepared. They believed that the man who assaulted Mo had done it before. They believed that he owned a home in King Harbor and had a family, maybe even children. He was more than likely a man in his forties, about five foot eleven, from the description Mo gave them. He was arrogant and believed that even with mistakes, he would never be caught. He would more than likely do this again if he hadn't already. Goodroy had no further information and no leads. They had Mo's clothing and the collected evidence from her body, but no one matching the DNA evidence in the system. They had also checked outside the county and state for possible matches, but none were found. Goodroy tried to remain optimistic and assured Everest that they were doing everything they could to find him. She said that these scumbag types always made mistakes and that would be his undoing. That statement was meant to reassure Everest, but it had the opposite effect. What she deciphered from Goodroy's statement was that the man who tried to kill her daughter, the man who viciously assaulted Mo, had to commit another crime or a series of crimes before he would be caught. But what exactly was everything they could do? How much of a priority was it to find the man who assaulted a black girl? It had not been a priority for the precinct with victims of this type of crime in the past, so why would this be any different? Everest knew of one other case of a child about her daughter's age which ended in murder. That had been 19 months ago, and that crime was still unsolved. The parents of that child were still awaiting justice. No, that was not going to be Everest. Goodroy flipped her notepad and stuffed it into a breast pocket before saying her goodbyes. Everest returned her gaze back over to Mo, who continued to block out the world. That's it. Join me next week for Chapter 6 of Counterpunch. Counterpunch can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, Google Play, and Kobo. Want to leave me a voice message? Visit my Anchor.fm page, the link is in the show notes, and click on the button that says Message to leave me one. I just may use your voicemail in a future podcast. Want to suggest a show episode or get in touch? Visit me at authoruncut.com or send me an email at mailbag at patricewilliamsmarks.com. And finally, to join our email list, go to authoruncut.com. Until next time, write on.